welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. podcast how are you doing today i'm doing great thanks for having me on of course it's my pleasure i'd like to start off by asking you to describe yourself and what it is that you do sure so um we'll go way back to february 1985 when i was born no i'm just kidding we won't go back that far <laughs> so uh so my basic background i uh, i went to college i grew up in the denver area i went to the university of colorado for my undergrad in finance and then the university of denver for my mba also in finance uh, not surprisingly i worked in finance for, for a while my first job out of college i was a bank manager i was the guy responsible for mortgages new credit card applications pretty much anything that happened that came through the front door of our branch that wasn't a big commercial deal went through me and um, I was there for not all that long in the scheme of things it was a great learning experience not the right company for me so I took uh, took an opportunity to jump ship and moved over to the telecom world and I was there for a while um, bounced around a bit after that in FP&A um, financial planning and analysis if you don't have a finance background but more or less I was in that world of finance and accounting living in gray cubicles for about 10 years. And during that time, I started this little personal finance blog as a side hustle. I actually started it just after I stopped working in the bank. I saw there were a few other personal finance blogs at the time. You know, my, my blogs, it was started in 2008, which makes me about 95 in uh, blogger years. <laughs> I'm, 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 like an, I'm like a dinosaur blogger. But uh, there were these other personal finance blogs. I thought, you know what? I have a finance degree. I used to run a bank. I can, I can do this. I I can write. So I started this uh, little personal finance blog. It was um, my it was originally narrowbridgeadventures.blogspot.com because I didn't know anything about blogging in 2008. Uh, I learned a little bit along the way. Now it's personalprofitability.com. But um, that little website led to a lot of opportunities along the way. You know, it started out, it was making almost no money, which I didn't really care. It was just a little hobby. Um, eventually, I started making you know, $10 for a sponsorship or something here and there. Eventually, it reached a point that it was paying all my bar tabs, which I thought was really impressive because I was in my mid-20s. So I was at the bars a lot with my friends. You know, Happy hour was one of my favorite sports. So um, so you know, I, was, I was really excited. I was like, wow, I'm making a few hundred dollars a month from this internet thing. This is like real money here, not just like one of those scams you see on a, you know, nailed to a stoplight post that says, you know, work from home, make $5,000 a month. And like, I was actually making real money on the internet. It wasn't 5,000 a month, but it was real money. And I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, I kept working at it. And I started going to uh, an annual conference called FinCon. It's a financial blogging and media conference. And I've gotten very involved with that community. Mm -hmm. And through networking and connections, I kept learning more and trying new things. And my audience was growing. And then one day a company said, hey, will you write for our blog and we'll pay you? I was like, Oh well, you can pay me, and I'll do just about anything. So, <laughs> let alone writing. <laughs> uh, so I, I took that. I said, well, sure. And, you know, it was. Uh, it wasn't all that much. It was, if memory serves, about twenty-five dollars for that first post. 
But that was what really led to the career path that allowed me to quit my job last year. So my that freelance writing because of my blog became a growing and growing part of my income until in 2015, I made $40,000 as a side hustle. So that was you know, extra revenue on top of what I was making at work, which mm-hmm. I was working you know, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever you do in finance, um, sitting in my gray cubicles. And I'd come home and I'd write and I'd work on my website on evenings and weekends, um, sometimes to the chagrin of my girlfriend slash fiance slash now wife. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of hours I put in. But, you know, at $40,000, that was the point I said, you know, I was living in Portland at the time. I'd left Denver. I wanted an adventure, try something new. So we were in Portland. And I said to my wife, you know, $40,000 a year is like the median household income for this city, which I had to look up. I didn't just know that off the top of my head. But I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> you making didn't have that. Do you, you didn't, didn't have that site memorized right off the top of your head? No. Right. I tried to memorize GDP by state, but it's uh, it's a tough. You know. So yeah. I, when I looked it up, I was like, wow, I'm like, like this is what most families live on, and that's what I'm making on the side. Maybe I could really make a go at this. You know, I'd always kind of dreamt about it before. I was like, oh, I'm making this money online, how cool would it be to have that be my whole job? But that was the point at the end of 2015 where I realized, well, oh, I might actually be able to do this. And also at the end of 2015, I had. A about three month old daughter. I was my my first and only daughter. And um, you know, like any responsible parent, about two months later, I said to my wife, "I think I'm gonna. Think we should sell our house and move somewhere more expensive, and I'm gonna quit my job." <laughs> so um, that's what we did. We we Perfect. sold our house in Portland. I quit my high paying job as a senior financial analyst, and we moved down to sunny Southern California. We live in a city called Ventura. It's about 20 minutes from my in-laws. My wife grew up in Santa Barbara, not too far up the road from us. So for her, it was kind of like moving back home. For me, it was like moving to one of the most expensive places on earth. I had some sticker shock when I got here for sure. <laughs> but, um, but you know, as, as a guy who just quit my job with a baby, I knew I, I knew it would be okay. So, so, we, uh, so, so I got to work. My last day at work was actually uh, April 8th, 2016. It was a Friday. And uh, we were still in Portland for, you know, a couple weeks after that. But I went home that day and I sat down at the computer and I started writing because mm-hmm. I knew this was my job now. Um, you know, before it was something I did because I enjoyed it and I made money. Uh, it changed to it became my job on, on April 8th last year. And it has been an awesome ride since. Actually, my online income from that 2015 number I had cited has um, about tripled or a little more. So I'm making now over... I'm, I'm on track for about 125 to 130,000 this year if everything goes as it has through the first half of the year. And um, you know what? I can't complain. Things are good. <laughs> wow, that's that's absolutely wonderful. It's 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 great hearing you uh, hearing your story throughout that. So um, it's also a really good reminder that it just when when people have ideas to you know to to start a side hustle um that it doesn't just happen overnight and it takes time like you know yours is seven nine years that was uh, i like to joke at the time i left my job it only took me eight years to become an overnight success (laughs) exactly (laughs) well that's what everyone looks like on the internet right you see these people who you've never heard of they come out of nowhere all of a sudden you're like holy cow you make like six figures on the internet sitting at home in your pajamas like what no way or like you travel the world and live in hostels and 
you're, you know, you live out of a backpack, like how glamorous is that? And you make six figures online doing it. Like mm -hmm. that seems crazy, right? Like that's not, they don't teach you that in, you know, in high school as a career path. They talk about, you know, I mean, I guess nowadays it's a hot button political issue. They talked about factory jobs, you know, st stable things that are part of the American economy. But, you know, when we were kids going to school, internet entrepreneur wasn't a job that existed. I mean, the internet hardly existed. It was just this ARPANET thing that the military and some universities connected some computers together. They they ran punch cards through. Like it was it was a very different world <laughs> when we were kids than the day that we're you know all about to get into self driving cars. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, but, but that was like this crazy thing. I kept seeing all these people doing that. And I was always like, well, you know, how can they go make, you know, $4,000 their first month online? And odds are they didn't make it their first month online. It was just their first month writing about how much they made online. Right. <laughs> of course. Yeah. They're not going to, they're not going to write about the first actual month online where they maybe had like one person show up for whatever it is they were talking about and they made a couple dollars. That's, uh, that's not you, as cool of a story. If you go back to if you go to personalprofitability.com, that's my main website. Uh, there's a link at the top. This is income reports, mm -hmm. and I actually list out. I have an income report that breaks out my revenue and expense every single month back to 2012. So it's not as old as the blog, sure. but um, that's a that's a lot of months of income reports. So it's a way I, I try to be transparent and help people and say, you know, yeah, hey, I'm a real person. I'm I'd like to think I'm special. You know, my mom told me I'm special growing up, just like everyone else. But in reality, we're all pretty similar. Um, yeah. And it's just how hard are we willing to work for what we want? And for me, it became a priority to have a life where I could be at home with my daughter. I didn't mention, you know, I, I joked that I was, you know, the responsible dad quitting my job. But there, there was a day uh, the week before I gave my notice that one morning I woke up and went to work and my daughter had not woken up yet and I got home for the day and she was already asleep for the night. Mm. It's like, wow, I don't get to see my daughter all day. Like what's worth that? You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it was, I was going to a good job that paid me well, it allowed me to you know, pay for the house that I, my daughter was sleeping in that I didn't get to see her in. <laughs> but um, you know, there, there's definitely some downsides to traditional employment that I wanted to break free from. And that was what really motivated me to do, what I saw, you know, again, from going to these conferences, I saw my friends doing. We, a lot of us started at the same point with a regular job, being normal people. And, you know, normal people, I say that in quotation marks, like <laughs> people who work on the Internet are not normal people. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we had normal jobs like most people working at a big company. And over time, I kept seeing these success stories happen again and again and again. And, and I was really excited when it became my turn. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. What... What is it about finance that that makes you interested in it? Because obviously, you know, you went to school for finance. You've been working for finance for years and years and years, and now you're writing about it and and uh, have a podcast about it. So, what it yeah. is about about you know finance that that really gets you excited? I mean, it goes like way back. I think there's some genetic thing that it's like in your genes. <laughs> my grandpa was a college professor at a business school. He taught marketing, and then my dad. Um, he, he was originally on the lawyer path, but ended up following my grandpa's footsteps and going into merchandising and marketing. And uh, now I'm in a way doing you know, content marketing and digital marketing. So I guess it partially runs in the family, the, the business and the marketing side. But what really excites me and got me going with this blog and what I'm doing with my path now 
it's you know, a lot of people look at their money. Actually, I'll tell you the, the story of how I named the blog in the beginning, that horrible name I mentioned a few minutes ago, narrowbridgeadventures.blogspot.com. So <laughs> Narrow Bridge, it's, a, uh, it's actually a, the name of my media company is Narrow Bridge Media. Uh, Narrow Bridge comes from a Jewish song from a rabbi who's a like great, 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 like eight greats uncle of mine. Like way distant, but um, but still a, a famous rabbi that I'm related to, so I feel like I can brag about it. <laughs> so, um, but the song—it's uh, a really famous song in the Jewish world. It, in Hebrew, it's Kol Haolam Kulo Gesher Tsar Meod. That means the whole world is a very narrow bridge. Hmm. So narrow bridge is—that's where I got that from. And the song, if you translate it, it's only two lines. It means the whole world is a very narrow bridge, and the most important thing is to not be afraid. So when I started the blog, I was looking at, you know, I was looking at my money and how I dealt with it. And my, you know, I was lucky at that point when I started the blog, I didn't have student loans. I got a full ride for undergrad. Mm -hmm. But in my MBA program, I did pick up $40,000 in student loans. There's that 40,000 number again. Maybe that's a special number in my life. There's a yeah. symbolism here I'm picking up. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so a lot of people, your know, money's scary. It's something they don't understand. We don't learn about it in elementary school or middle school or high school. You can become a you know a graduate of a high school in the United States and not know how credit cards and checking accounts work. Mm -hmm. It's just this mystery and black box. And if we can break through that fear and you know cross that narrow bridge as the song says, there's so much opportunity. You know, a lot of people say you know, like I talked I I'm right about travel quite a bit. I was just at a travel blogging conference called TBEX and when I was talking to people there coming from finance, so I go, well, how does a finance blogger end up at a travel blogger conference? I said, well, what's the number one most people, number one reason most people don't travel? It's money. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they, they go hand in hand. Every the reason you don't do anything in life, a lot of people, it's either because they don't have the time or the money, and usually they don't have the time because they don't have the money. So <laughs> it all kind of goes hand in hand. So if people can learn how to better master their money and take control and use it as a tool they can use money to live the life they want rather than use money as an excuse for not living the life they want. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's no, that's a very good point. It, um, cause I, so I'm in that same boat of, of never really learning much about um, money as a tool until, you know, after finishing graduate school and not getting in, you know, when I started uh, my own company in, in the early 2000s, um, long after I probably should have been... <laughs> understanding how all of that just actually a few works. years before finance was going to be everywhere in the news <laughs> <laughs> exactly well fortunately for me i graduated um grad school just in time to to watch the financial collapse outside of my door because i was i was living in Darien, connecticut at the time surrounded by a bunch uh, of so tech, hedge fund managers so we're all terrified they were about to lose their houses <laughs> yes yes exactly so i watched them all freak out and Today, the people with hundreds of millions of dollars are worried about losing their homes. That's a, a special day in America. <laughs> exactly. That was actually when I was working in the bank. I graduated from college in 2007. So my first job in finance, giving out mortgages, was when they were all blowing up. Oh, so it was, nice. a, it was an interesting time to be in the world of banking. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would say so. Yeah, yeah my first post it was um, October 2008. So you're right in the heart of the financial crisis and people trying to put their life back together, their financial pieces back in order. Yeah. 
So with that then, and your post, your first post happening right in the heart of the financial crisis, how has your blog evolved in these last nine years? Sure. So it started out answering really basic financial questions, things that anybody could use a little bit of extra help in, especially people who didn't have that background in finance, which I was lucky enough to have at that point. But over time, the blog has become it became more complex on how it dealt with different financial issues. It often followed a lot about what I was doing in my life. So when I was starting out, I was renting an apartment. Um, I was debt free, but I was you know, using credit cards for the first time in my life with an actual income. It wasn't just like, here's my parents emergency card I can use if I'm you know, with my sister somewhere and we need to eat. But like an actual credit card I had to pay for and was responsible for. I had to deal with my own checking and savings and 401k and picking insurance at work. Like who at 22 years old, when they get their first job after school is like, yeah, I know exactly what life insurance I need from my job. Like no one knows any of that. So, so that was where I was starting in the beginning. I was answering the questions that I was dealing with. And then the questions I was dealing with changed. It became, you know, went from how do you afford to date women in a big city as a single guy because dating can be expensive and Mm -hmm. you're expected whether it's right or wrong a lot of women expect to be treated on a first date or a second date or however many dates so i wrote about you know dating and money Mm -hmm. um then i had a a girlfriend i wrote about girlfriends and money and then i had another girlfriend and another girlfriend so i wrote about that a few (laughs) times um then i you know got moved in with someone and we got married and so we started writing about how to merge finances I bought a condo when I was in Denver and then a house in Portland. So wrote about mortgages and buying homes and dealing with HOAs. And now lately over the last couple of years, it's shifted to more focus on side income, entrepreneurship, side hustles, ways that you can increase your income. Because one of the ways I look at personal finance, I actually look at it a lot like budgeting. Mm -hmm. There's two or like dieting, sorry, budgeting. (laughs) I look at budgeting like dieting. So you're... You really, with like when you're dieting, you have an input and an output, right? Your input is what you eat. Your output is the calories you burn, which is either through exercise or, you know, that small baseline that we burn off when we're sleeping or watching Netflix. So, um, but you know, you could be on the treadmill, you know, 18 hours a day, and if all you eat is pizza and ice cream, mm-hmm. you're still going to keep gaining weight because your input is bigger than your output. So with finance, it's the opposite. Your input is those dollars coming in from work or wherever else, and the output is your expenses and your spending. You can, you know, like you say, you could be on the treadmill 18 hours a day and you're never going to lose weight if your inputs aren't taken care of. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with finance. You can budget and budget and budget and get frugal until you're blue in the face and, you know, pull change out of vending machines and... I've seen all sorts of funny things people do to save money. Make your own shampoo and deodorant. I would never do that. It's like yucky. (laughs) But, um, you know, I live in a humid climate. Maybe you could get away with that in like Arizona or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, like I don't care about spending $2 or $4. The latte factor was a big thing um, from David Bach's book, The Automatic Millionaire, Mm -hmm. which was actually one of the books that really got me into personal finance. It was the last book I read before I started my blog kind of a fun little story, oh, sure. but the uh, latte factor that he talks about, which says, you know, if you go spend $3 on coffee every day for, you know, 50 weeks a year and add that up over time with interest, it becomes hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, 
who cares about $3 really? If you could go do something that you'll make a hundred dollars or $500, which is my current goal every single day of the week. So, you know, it's, it's not about how much you spend. If you can make enough money, you can, as my friend Paula Pant, her site's uh, affordanything.com, she says it best. She says, you can't afford everything, but you can afford anything. And I really like that idea because you can afford anything if you set your mind to it and create a goal. You just have to make small changes and adjustments in your life, and you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious because you just mentioned this. You said that you're you have a goal of it's five hundred dollars a day. Yeah, that's I I did a little math. I said, well, I want to make ten thousand dollars a month. That feels like a cool number to say I I make every month. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. I used a calculator, figured out if I make five hundred dollars on average every weekday mm-hmm. all year, I'll make over one hundred twenty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So with the the evolution of your site and your and your blog. Um, and podcast how has so with that are you making the majority of your your income through consulting through there is it sponsorships that you've come across or how does and if you don't mind talking a little bit about that but how do you how do you um how do your finances work with with those items particularly yeah so my biggest income source by far is freelance writing um, and that, you know, again, if you go over those income reports, you'll see over time, it kind of ebbs and flows. When I quit my job, actually about 25% of my income at that point, um, right after I quit was coming from web design and web development, which I figured out I make a lot less per hour and is way more frustrating than writing. So I stopped doing it. I, 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 I well, I'm just going to focus on writing and grow it till I hit a point. I don't need the, the web design stuff anymore. And so that, that's what I did that in the, over the last, you know, six months to a year. Um, but right now I would say probably 90% of my income comes from freelance writing and that fluctuates a little bit, you know, unlike with a regular day job where you're getting that check every two weeks or whatever your schedule is, the amount I make goes up and down every month. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot less predictable, but overall it's still more than I made in my day job plus my side hustle combined before I quit my job. So overall it's been better. You know, I pay more for health insurance now by quite a bit. There, there's some other costs that come with entrepreneurship that you don't have when you have a full-time job. Right. Uh, my insurance was, you know, I was paying, I think, 150, 200 a month, something like that for my family, for the three of us through my old employer. Now it's um, 1,000 something a month. So, you know, way wow. higher. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely a lot higher. I make enough money. I don't get the Obamacare subsidy, though. Gotcha. Personally, it doesn't bother me. Um, I can afford it. I'm, I make 120000 a year. I can pay for health insurance. <laughs> but um, it, it's an important thing for any family. If, if, you know, this is meant to be a health insurance podcast. But you know, if you get really sick and you don't have insurance, it could cost you a heck of a lot more than $120,000 I make in a year. Mm-hmm. So it's worth the, uh, that little bit to you know, protect, protect ourselves and our families and our finances. But back to the the revenue side, yeah, about 90% of it comes from that um, freelance writing. But I wouldn't have that without the blog. Mm-hmm. When I started the blog, I didn't realize at the time I was writing my new resume, essentially, because people you know, in the corporate world, when people are hiring, it's all about, you know, what degree you have, um, especially earlier in your career, when, you know, what was your GPA of the last time you went to school? You know, I worked really hard in grad school to have a great final GPA. But, um, you know, it's, like that's the stuff people care about is like that piece of paper that you work years for that says that you can earn more money than other people. 
mm-hmm. uh, on the internet, none of that really matters. I mean, credentials are nice. I, I include that I have an MBA on my uh, on my bios and things like that because it makes me a little more credible. But really, people don't hire me because of that. They hire me because of the product I create. You know, the as long as I'm consistently putting out a very high quality product that's better than what anyone else is doing, or at least as good as the best mm-hmm. uh, or the best tier. I'll keep getting hired back and can keep getting great rates, which is a big part of how my income grew. It didn't just grow because I was doing more. It grew because I was finding clients that better valued the service I was providing and were willing to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. With those, were you reaching out to them or were they coming to you because of, of what you were putting out on your blog and podcast? Uh, a combination. I'd say about 70%-ish. Uh, can happen because of something at a conference. So like at FinCon oh, being okay. for me number one, you know, I'd meet companies. There's there are freelancer marketplaces. Um, there's a, a guy named Jason Steele. He's an awesome personal finance freelance writer uh, and a good friend of mine. He runs the freelance marketplace at FinCon. So how that works is there'll be you know maybe three four dozen companies there all looking to hire people, and the people who want to be hired for this kind of work go there and connect, you know, kind of like duh in your head. But when you're meeting people in person face to face who, you know, are looking for exactly what you offer, it's a lot easier than going to some website like you know, the pro blogger job board or you know, there, there's a bunch of sites online to, to find writing gigs, uh, Craigslist, uh, <laughs> if you if you dare to venture that way. And I right. do know friends who have done found some awesome gigs on Craigslist. So I don't want to bash it. You never know where you're going to find an awesome job. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I- I found a uh, – I end up working for Al Pacino because I have a Craigslist ad. Like I, I that designed is awesome. A, I'd love to hear movie. that story. <laughs> I designed – so I'll do it real quick. I um, – which is – it's so weird that I found it on Craigslist, but it was – it was I was my second year of grad school, and I just found this random post on Craigslist um, about it, – it was very vague. It, it sounded very spammy. It was like A-list actor looking for designer to help with movie. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll just reply to this just because I need something to do in the summer. And it was like <laughs> six or seven emails I ended up going like before I kind of figured out that it actually was legit. And um, they were really interested in – and actually why I got hired was because the summer beforehand I had – I was an assistant designer on the on a, the opera Salome at Santa Fe Opera. And um, I didn't find out until like the day before, but it turns out – um, Al Pacino was making this film called Wild Salome, where he had filmed himself playing King Herod in L.A., um, and then he wanted to to do this like beforehand, where he would like walk the streets of New York, trying to figure out the story behind Salome, and he was interviewing the grandson of the of the writer. So I was hired to to dress up. Um, so to dress him up basically, and then, um, (laughs) dress up an actor to play Oscar Wilde so that he could have a conversation with Oscar Wilde. And then Oscar Wilde's nephew was there just playing Oscar Wilde's nephew. So it was like, it was this surreal experience where I'm sitting here (laughs) with, with the director, uh, actually with the cameraman and and the main producer. And we're like drinking at the bar watching Al Pacino have a conversation with an actor who dresses up like Oscar Wilde, um, but yeah, that so, is an awesome story. Yeah, Craigslist. <laughs> that was again. I, and I, so I have never found an equally interesting design gig on Craigslist since then. They were all mostly terrible. But 
But you're right. You get every once in a while, you get something cool that happens on Craigslist. Oh, look, I haven't looked at the uh, pro blogger job board seriously as a source of clients for a while. I did earlier on when I was a newer writer. That was you know, definitely a, a big place for me to go. But one of actually my longest client I still have right now came from the pro blogger job board, which is this random thing, this website about real estate looking to hire people at and it said, you know, here's the rates we pay. I'm like, oh, that's the rate I'm charging, which I actually charge a heck of a lot more now. And I've only raised the rate on them a little because they're such a long time client and they're so easy to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a big part of it when you're if you want to go the freelance route in any uh, you know, any profession, if it's online, you know, the biggest ones are going to be writing, web design, app design, graphics, things like that. You know, there's the clients who will pay you more but are a huge pain in the ass to work with. Mm -hmm. And there are the clients that will pay you less, but they're so easy to work with. Sometimes it's worth taking a little less just because you know what your time's worth and what it's going to take to you know, put that project or that article together. Mm -hmm. um, where there's some clients, like I had one client who I, I, I would never say by name, but a big company that is in a finance industry you've all probably heard of at some point on an ad somewhere. Um, and I was writing with that for them. And it was just so difficult to work with, even though they were paying me the best rate I ever had. I said, you know, it's not worth this to, mm -hmm. to get paid that because it's so stressful and so time consuming. I mean, I was actually like, I remember it, when I brought them on, the whole uh, situation was kind of stressful. I was actually in London uh, because I had just quit my job and wanted to celebrate being able to work anywhere in the world by doing that. And anywhere for me that I picked was London, one of my favorite cities. Mm -hmm. So I was in London and got this email about this client and um, they come, they came through a network that I get a bunch of clients through that are usually the bigger corporate clients that typically pay more. So I'm, I'm usually happy to drop anything for those. Uh, and this was one of those. And I even went to the library in London. I found a library where I could print off the contract, sign it and scan it back in and send it over at like 2 a.m. USA time when I was hanging out in London uh, because I wanted to get that contract in and get that client going. And I actually made like a, a few thousand dollars from that client before I even got home, which I went from London to Paris and then went home. The, the whole trip was about 10 days. So I made enough to pay for the trip from that client before I left the trip, which was cool because I didn't even know they were going to be a client when I left. Yeah. But after I got home, the, those projects that I thought I was done with kept coming back up again and again and again and again, and they just wouldn't go away and be complete. Mm -hmm. So that was why I let that client go because it just kept taking more and more of my time, and I was dreading getting emails about it. Mm -hmm. uh, where I've had other clients where – you know, I get an email from them and I'm just like excited and I'm energized. I actually got, um, as, as of the day we're recording this, yesterday, or maybe two days ago now, I got the highest paying assignment ever that I've gotten on anything. And it's writing an ebook, so it'll be a lot more work than most things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting paid so much, I'll almost hit my monthly goal in you know from that one project. So I know next month I will be super you know, on track to beat my goals for revenue. But yeah. uh, this client that sent me the book, I've done a few articles and white papers for them before. So when they sent me this project, I was like, oh, this will be a ton of work, but they're easy to work with. They're a great company, and I'd love to do it. So you know, in a heartbeat, I said yes. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so if I, if I could get one of these every month or two of these every month, that's all I would have to do.
That's true. It's, That's it's one of the things with freelancing is I will probably get one of these in like a year. So mm-hmm. uh, not the usual. <laughs> well, you you could be like the the finance ghostwriter. That's a I think that could be a thing. Like it sounds like a good movie. Like did you see that ghostwriter movie with um, Pierce Brosnan? I think was in it. It was a cool one. Yeah, totally. A, yeah, it was I, Ewan McGregor maybe. I think so. Like, yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi and James Bond. <laughs> together. Right, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've done some ghostwriting, uh, and I I won't. I won't get a byline on this big project I just mentioned, um, which for writers byline essentially means publicly get credit that it was you who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time I avoid ghostwriting unless the rate is incredibly awesome or the project or client is incredibly awesome. Uh, I think uh, ghostwriting is general or no byline. Ghostwriting can be a little different, but generally no byline type writing, especially in the article world, mm-hmm. I think is not good for the company or the writer. It's better for everybody if the people reading it know who knows who really wrote it. Um, you're going to go in ghostwriting when it's something coming from an executive or something. They might have help writing because they're so busy or they're not the best writer. Or someone might take their ideas and flush them out a little bit nicer on paper. Mm-hmm. But if it's like a, a big company blog just putting out information on their industry or their product, whether it's a staff person that works for that company or a freelancer, giving that person credit doesn't hurt the company. It just shows the company, look, I have this great expert writing for you on this topic. Yeah. So it really helps everybody. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Have you ever used Upwork to find yes. gigs? And um, what is your experience with Upwork? So finding gigs on Upwork, um, I, I had one that was a became a multi-month gig through there. Um, I find often they are jobs best suited for very intro level people. So if you have that full time job and you really just want to find that first side hustle dollar, mm-hmm. not like I want to quit my job, but I want to make a little bit more, Upwork is a great place for that. Uh, the big challenge with Upwork for someone, let's say, in my at my level of experience, is I'm competing with people from you know Bangladesh and India and the Philippines who are willing to work at a fraction of what I'm willing to work at. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the companies hiring there know that those people are there. So it's, you know, the supply and demand of economics there, the supply is so big that the price just drops. But mm-hmm. you also get what you pay for. So there are some companies there willing to pay a premium for a native English speaker or you know, a, a U.S.-based developer or a graphic designer, whatever it is they're hiring for. Um, but again, typically the rates aren't going to be great. But you need a portfolio that shows you're worth something to mm-hmm. get those bigger paying clients. So I will say, why work for free when you can work for a little bit? <laughs> so, you know, don't go out and do a bunch of free stuff hoping you're going to get a client, you know, just on on prospect or, or something like that. Um, you know, go maybe take five bucks an hour because it's going to be five bucks an hour to help you learn how to do something to make more later. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting paid to learn rather than just working for free. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, that's a good philosophy about it. I've I've personally used Upwork to hire people. That's, that's where I've used I have a few uh, assistants that I've worked with through yeah, Upwork, some very long-term, and they've been oh, great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've, I've done kind of the same thing. And recently, I'd say in the last six months or, go, or so, I have been uh, trying to, to find some just random 
side hustle gigs on there and uh, primarily in public relations, which I have a lot of experience about. And I have I have had bad luck just because people want I, I have a very good track record and I'm very good at public relations. Um, and so for the companies who are looking for that, they're not really w looking to pay a higher premium you know, for someone right. who already who already has, has done that, especially in the, in the states. So, right. and if you're willing to pay a premium, you're probably not looking at Upwork in the beginning. Yes. You're going to be looking somewhere more like Media Bistro, or uh, there, there's a few sites that are kind of the higher end versions of Upwork that get more niche into specific things. Like there's a um, like Growth Geeks or Growth Hackers. I think it's Gro Growth Geeks <laughs> um, is a marketplace like that, but for kind of more high end. There's another one called Cloud Peeps. I've actually, I'm, I'm a registered peep. I have peeped for a couple companies before. Uh, essentially, Cloud Peeps is a, um, a marketplace for writers, social media. I was a Cloud Peep for social media, uh, which I'm glad I had that experience. I love social media stuff, but I don't want to do social media all day. I realized pretty quickly it was not for me. <laughs> but um, I made you know a few thousand dollars figuring that out. So it wasn't like I, I was just trying it to see. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I I have never heard of those, so I'm definitely gonna check those out because I, I you're right. I I've had bad luck with Upwork, so I definitely need to look at a different area for that. I've also seen uh, lately a place that I've seen surprising successes is Fiverr. Uh, it's, yeah, I've done a few Fiverr gigs. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I, I there was a point I said I want to be like Tiesto and be the biggest DJ in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, I saw Tiesto. Fun story with uh, my best friend back in Denver. And uh, I remember it was like the week before Thanksgiving, and I said to him, I pointed at TSO, I said, in less than a year, that's going to be me. And three months later, for my birthday, it was my second birthday having a full-time grown-up job, mm -hmm. and I had always wanted DJ gear, like like, like a homeschool, like old-style beat matching, the whole thing. But in high school and college, I didn't have any money to buy like a $2,000 mixer. I'm like, that's crazy. But I was like, you know what? I have a job now. I can buy a mixer if I want. So for my birthday, I bought myself a $2,000 mixer. Um, there's, a, there's a newer one now. The one I have is called the Tractor S4. And I've, mm -hmm. I've played in some nightclubs that Tiesto has played in. Not on the same night, but I feel vindicated because of that. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. when I... Uh, but when I got that, I was like, well, how can I make money from this? Because I just spent a bunch of money. I want to make some back. Um, if I make enough money, I can write this off as a business expense, not just like a hobby thing that I bought myself. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to make a business out of it. And I went on Fiverr and I said, for five bucks, I will make you a 45-minute DJ set, which was something wow. I was going to do anyway. Like I wanted to make <laughs> lots of 45-minute DJ sets. Like That's how you mm -hmm. learn how to DJ, right? Like you yeah. go to your living room or if you're in high school, your bedroom. But I was big enough to have my own apartment, so my living room. <laughs> and um, was just like playing. and I had my friends over and we'd have beers. And I just – that's how you learn how it all works, just by doing. I thought, mm -hmm. well, I might as well make five bucks for doing this. So I actually sold a few sets um, that I recorded for 45 minutes and uploaded it to uh, with the MP3 to Fiverr. And Fiverr takes out their fee, and so did I think PayPal at the time. So I got my four dollars, and um, <laughs> but you know I laid, I made like twelve bucks, like trying to learn how to DJ again. It's like it's a cool thing. But now Fiverr has add-on services. Where, like I hired someone to do. Um, I run a speaker event called Ignite. It's a it's like TED Talks on speed. Um, listeners, if you're not familiar, there's probably one in your city. If you're in a big enough city or near one, check it out. They're super fun. 
Um, so I've been to a bunch of different Ignites, and I run an Ignite at FinCon. And I'm actually this year going to be running one at Podcast Movement. So me running FinCon Ignites at conferences is growing a little bit, kind of fun. But I uh, record all the uh, videos of all the speakers and need to get them edited. And I figure, oh, I'll, I'll go to Fiverr. Maybe someone will edit it for five bucks. Mm-hmm. And I found someone who had an upsell that uh, he was actually I think in Scotland. So he wasn't even, you know, he was like 12 time zones away. Um, and he was like, well, I'll do the whole thing for like 150 bucks. I'll do all of these videos for you. I'm like, oh, well, I did the math, figured out the cost per video. I'm like, oh, this is great. So he made a bunch of money. I got a great deal on something. It was a lot more than five bucks. So mm-hmm. don't discount Fiverr, even though I only made $4 DJing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. Cause I, I, I actually have used Fiverr for a couple different things and the results have been varied. But um, but yeah, that's good to know that now they do the upsell thing, because um, I know that a few a few tech companies that I have been chatting with recently, they had a lot of video work and editing work all on Fiverr, and they were really excited about the results. So it's uh, definitely worth it. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Yeah. So with your own business itself, since now you've transitioned from a full time gig to what you're doing now, do you have daily routines or rituals? Or, or ways that you manage your time and focus? As I, for me, it's all about systems and tools. I have to create things or setups that I don't have to think about the work getting done. It'll just kind of happen. Um, obviously, you know, articles don't just happen to get written. It's, I do put work in. But I set up my day and my systems. Like I use Asana a lot. Um, another tool similar is Trello. But Asana for me is the best, and it's free. You know, that lets me collaborate with my um, – I have a virtual assistant who I just brought on a couple months ago who's U.S.-based and a couple from Upwork that do some stuff for my podcast, so we all coordinate on there. I actually have one of my clients who's on Asana, so I work with them on Asana also. There's a lot of cool collaboration that happens there. Um, Gmail has for a long time been a nerve center for me. Uh, I'm a big Inbox Zero fan, and I'm not as good at – having inbox zero as i would like to be so i'm trying to move my nerve center out of my inbox into asana um, that's just something i'm working on right now hopefully that'll help me get more productive um, you know, but, but i'm often i collaborate with so many people throughout the day that just having the right tools in place to do that which is like i said asana dropbox google drive uh, th- those types of tools uh, slack that let you work with people wherever they are in the world like in your situation from Boston to San Francisco, um, the things that let you really quickly communicate with people and get things done, that those have been huge for me. Um, but otherwise, it's just trying to find a quiet place, which is very hard in my current situation in a two-bedroom apartment with two dogs and a baby. <laughs> we actually bought a house. We're moving in. Uh, we get the keys in 18 days. So by the time all of you hear this, I will have moved. But at this point, I'm really excited about moving into my own home office again, where I'm not working at a kitchen table with a one-year-old who comes up and pulls on your pant leg going, da-da, 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 when you're trying to write. Um, I'll have a door that closes. Um, So uh, my big plan when I make that jump to get more productive is to go back to a two-screen setup, two monitors. Um, I had two monitors at most of the jobs I've had, and I'm a huge tech nerd. I, I built a media center computer that's sitting in my living room right now. So I can – the tech part of it's easy. So I just know having 
double the screen space is going to help me get a lot more done quicker because then I can look at something on one screen and work on the other. Or right now on my 13-inch MacBook Pro, there's a lot of flipping back and forth that eats up my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do some... I do a lot of micro to-do lists in Asana, but I would like to get back to a big whiteboard. Actually, I had an office at one of my jobs that I had a floor-to-ceiling whiteboard that was about four or five feet wide, which was really cool. So we could just, like, write all sorts of things, and they let us write on our windows with dry erase markers. So I had an inside office. My my window looked out into a hallway. wasn't that exciting. (laughs) Um, But I could – I wrote my, like, main big to-do list – on that window, which I'm actually might do in like I told my wife I might paint uh, like chalkboard or dry erase stuff on the one of the walls so I can just like write on the wall. Mm-hmm. So I think having a big here's my main high level projects I'd like to get done that I can look at constantly and be reminded these are the things to focus on um, and then jump into the computer and get into a sauna for the details. I think that will help my flow better than where I am today, which is just trying to juggle all those big projects in my head. And I do have, I use um, the sticky notes program. I used to use the windows one. Now I use the Mac one. They pretty much work the same. Or I just like take notes as I go throughout the day of things I want to remember. So I have them written there, but my notes get so, Oh, I have like seven sticky notes up right now. Like you can't even see half of them because they're covering each other. So I think having that one thing that I can walk into the office every morning and look at and say, you know, these are the four things I really want to get done that will stop me from I have that, you know, entrepreneur shiny object syndrome thing where I get really excited and want to jump around from project to project to project. But that leaves you with a bunch of half finished projects and no money. So I need to pick those ones that I really care about finishing and make those the top of the list because then I can slowly transition you know, what I'm thinking of as the next phase of my business, where right now I'm doing kind of hours for dollars. That's essentially what freelancing is. Uh, and I'm not paid hourly by anybody, but essentially it's, you know, butt in chair time is how I make money. Um, I want to shift that to, you know, I have a course that will make me money when I'm not at the computer or a product or an app that will make me money when I'm not at the computer. Mm-hmm. So um, to get those types of projects done, you know, they don't just happen instantly there I'm, I'm working on learning how to code better so i can do some of them myself um, i outsource some of it but ultimately you have to get those things done and having a bunch of half-finished projects doesn't help anybody <laughs> so um so putting those in front of me i think is going to help a lot yeah. on a day, day-to-day basis oh yeah definitely i'm 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 in that same uh, half-finished project boat right now myself um so throughout your career, and especially what you've done recently in the last year, it's um, there's got to be areas where you felt <clears throat> some kind of fear, especially you know the moment you quit your job, uh, went to this, what you're doing now full time, and, and moved your family across the well the lower half of the country. Twelve hundred miles away. <laughs> yeah, twelve hundred miles away. How do you think about and approach fear and things that you're nervous about, and how do you overcome them? Um, a lot of it, I try to frame it differently in my head. Instead of thinking of it as a fear, I look at it as a challenge or an obstacle. Because if it's a fear, it's hard to conquer a fear. You can't beat a fear. I mean, let's say you're afraid of sharks. You could go swimming with sharks, I guess. But that doesn't mean you like beat sharks. But if you're afraid of some kind of obstacle or failure in business, you know, by turning it upside down and looking at it as something you can win or something you can beat – um, for me, that's that's been a, it's a huge mental 
thing that helps me overcome obstacles. You know, I don't think that'll ever make me want to like play with brown recluse spiders. I have like these really weird specific fears. You know, like some people are just like afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of like two really specific kinds of spiders and weird like that. I'm afraid of brown recluse spiders in North America and funnel web spiders if I'm in Sydney, Australia. I've never been to Australia, but I know when I go there, look out for funnel webs. They're, they're scary. Like, the, Australia has the scariest wildlife in the world. I have like, a, my wife has a cousin who lives there. I hope we get mm-hmm. to go visit. They're, in, they're um, just about to have a baby in Melbourne. So I really want to go. But I'm like, I'm so afraid of all the things that can kill me in Australia. It's like, you know, there's a jellyfish in Australia. It's like an inch tall that if it stings you and you don't like get vinegar on it in two minutes, you'll die. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, why would you ever go swimming in Australia? And there's great white sharks. There like, are. you got mm-hmm. both of them. And then you come back to the beach and there's a funnel web spider hiding in your shoe. It's like, they, they even got the crocodile hunter. Come on. <laughs> it's true. I, I've, I've seen those online videos about just, like, how much the, the animals in Australia are trying to kill you. <laughs> But it's I have like, some great friends who are uh, successful entrepreneurs from Australia. So, mm. what am I? I have um, in my pocket right now. Really funny timing. I have two inch tall rubber chickens, uh, and they were sent to me by a friend, Brad Finkeldye. He is a uh, life coach and career coach, and we we worked on a project together. And he sent me two: one for me, one to give away to a friend. And he said, anytime you're afraid of something. Look at this silly little rubber chicken in your pocket, which he drew little hearts on, um, and use that to remind you to lean into your fears. Don't let them deflect you from doing something. So one's for me to keep, and one is to give to someone who inspires me. So I've been carrying these two chickens around in my pocket for like a week, um, trying to find the inspirational person to give the other one to. <laughs> but that's, that's a fun concept, right? Like if you see something that's afraid that that you would prevent you from a success just dive in because yeah. it's not going to go away if you don't yeah yeah exactly and I, I really like the idea of carrying a chicken in your i mean or just some kind of silly object in your pocket that makes you realize yeah. that your fear is probably also just as silly and my friend became the rubber chicken guy i think that's his yeah. instagram handle now the rubber chicken guy <laughs> and he, like, he has pictures of him like giving rubber chickens to rubber people chicken. all over the country like, it's, it's pretty cool <laughs> That is. That's, that's a really cool thing to be known for. Good for him. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Yeah, so the best advice I've ever received, I've gotten over my life lots of advice. Uh, I mentioned my grandpa earlier. I think it was my eighth birthday. He gave me a general ledger book for my birthday present so mm-hmm. I could start writing down every time I made money and spent money. I don't think that's something most eight-year-olds are into. I know I wasn't. I don't think I ever filled out a line on that. Uh, but the lessons that came along with it were really important. But the uh, the number one advice I think I ever got, I had this professor uh, a couple times at, when I was at the University of Colorado, Dr. Gross. And um, when we were doing one of our uh, classes, we were learning about the time value of money, which for finance people, that's like the most basic core thing in finance. Mm-hmm. Um, but for everybody else, they're like, holy crap, that's this giant formula that need you need calculus and I hate calculus. So, so um, what he said, um, we were learning this, and uh, a bunch of us figured out it wasn't all that hard. And he said, this isn't very difficult, but most people don't know how to do it, so they're going to be willing to pay you a lot of money to do it for them. I think that might be the best advice I've ever got, because 
in my business and any business that you have, you don't have to be doing something so crazy and spectacular like Elon Musk shooting off rockets to the moon and rebuilding our power grid. Like you could just come up with something that makes people's life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're willing to pay you to do it, that's awesome. Even if it's not hard, like it's not difficult to do a time value money calculation. I could amortize a mortgage in you know, under 20 seconds. Probably almost anyone with a finance degree should be able to do that. Um, but most people don't know how to amortize a mortgage. They're like, what? Amortize? Amortize? Like that's even the word is difficult. So, um, but knowing that that's something I can do really easily and get paid for, you know, to me, writing articles about personal finance isn't that hard. You know, I've been doing it for about a decade. I know how to write about bank accounts and credit cards and, and checking and all this stuff, uh, getting out of debt. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, that is like incredibly difficult stuff and totally out of their wheelhouse. Like we were saying in the beginning, you don't learn this in school. This is something that I had to go to school for six years to learn how to do, plus all these jobs. So because I know how to do it, people are willing to pay me a bunch to do it. Mm-hmm. So as I always challenge, I, w- I just spoke at, um, I mentioned TBEX. I spoke at TBEX on how to take your side hustle from part-time to full-time. And I said, there is something out there that you know more about than anybody else like, there's got to be one thing like it could even be like competitive duck herding like it doesn't have to be something that you think is <laughs> like that's actually a thing i, I found I, I i was like wow there's like there was a competitive duck herding blog i'm like but you know what there are people out there who care about that yeah. and the one person who knows more about it than anyone else could become the leader of that community and turn that into a profitable business so while i don't compare about care about com- competitive duck herding this is a tongue twister um, there are people who do. So whatever that thing is that you love and are passionate about and care about more than anyone else, uh, you know, you can do what Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V, what made him so famous. He started making these crazy wine videos mm-hmm. and that blew him up into this giant media personality. But it all started with he cared more about wine and knew more about wine than almost anyone else and was willing to put himself out there and talk about it on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of his style personally. I read Crush It. I, I thought there was some useful information in it, but you know, I'm not a huge fan of his writing and his style personally. But as a business, you know, he's brilliant. Like what he does is a business mind. Gary Vee has figured it out. You just have to build a community, become a leader of something that you know about and write about it or make videos about it or tweet about whatever your, your place is. Um, Pat Flynn, smartpassiveincome.com. He's a great guy. His strategy says be everywhere, but only be somewhere that you can commit to do a good job. So you know, anytime you want to pick something up new where you're taking that thing you know so much about and you're teaching people about it or becoming a leader in that or a, or a thought leader in that, you know, make sure you're going to do a good job where you put stakes in and, on your little corner of the Internet or the world because that's what people will see when they Google you and, and find you. Um, so do a good job at it. But you could make a living doing anything. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good point. And um, yeah, I uh, I actually remember Gary Vaynerchuk's videos. I was living in New York at the time, and I used to watch his wine library videos when I was commuting on the subway from my job back home. And it was great because I was learning. I I appreciated his um, like natural and just kind of um, relaxed view of wine. Like he he didn't it didn't 
feel like it was like this highfalutin thing. He he spoke like everyone else did and was like, "This is how I think of this wine," and and it uh, it made wine at least more accessible for me. So it was it was yeah. great watching his early stuff, and then yeah, I can see what he's doing now. But uh, but yeah. But awesome. Um, so Eric, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you chatting with me. If the listeners would like to um, see more about you and hear more about what you're working on, what is the best way they can do that? First, the best place to find me online is my blog and podcast, Personal Profitability. If you go to personalprofitabilitypodcast.com, it's a lot of P's I know in there. Um, that'll take you right to my podcast. You could subscribe if you like, or, uh, or you could check out the blog, those income reports I mentioned. Um, hopefully you'll go on there, you'll find something, you'll learn it. And uh, there's a contact form, or easy to find me on Twitter. I'm uh, Eric Profits on Twitter. Shoot me a note if you have any questions or, or just want to say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will put those links in the show notes so people can click right through. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Of course. Thank you so much, Eric. Have a great day. This has been fantastic. Bye, everybody. See you later. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you liked this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.